Hello and welcome to Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of one fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures, one chapter at a time. I'm Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet for me is the translator himself, Brandon Johnson. Hi, Brandon. Hi, Brandon. Good to see you this fine Wednesday evening. Yeah, good to see you. What uh, what beverage graces your soul tonight? I am having um, a Metropolitan, I believe, is what it's called. What? Yeah. It's basically Manhattan, but with brandy instead of whiskey. Oh, far out. Oh, and you've got it in a coupe. In a coupe, yep. I just got a, a coupe glass. I got a four set of coupes uh, off our wedding yes. registry. So we had our... Uh, wedding shower i guess a couple weeks ago so um this is one of the gifts opened at it cheers oh and i'm having a manhattan yeah cheers yeah that is so hey everybody we are talking about matthew chapter 26 but we're really gonna only talk about what three verses Uh uh-huh it's like the long i think this is the longest chapter by verse count in the new testament at least in Matthew, for sure. Yeah, 75, is it? Yeah, 75, yeah. Yeah, um, but we are taking that as some sort of backwards challenge. Uh, it's actually because there's so much packed into these three verses, 26, 27, and 28. We felt like that was enough to get it, get you an episode. So we're going to do that. Uh, we're going to explore that contrast between praise and thanks in 26 and 27 uh in 28 with footnote f we're gonna talk about covenant language we're gonna talk about in 28 with footnote g poured out with many in mind versus poured out for many and then in 28 with footnote h liberation from deviations instead of forgiveness of sins so you should definitely read the whole chapter and all the footnotes uh But if you don't have time for that, if you just want to be attuned to this conversation, make sure to read those three verses a couple times. The footnotes alone are like reading any other chapter. (laughs) They're very large, Brandon. This is true. I know. I know. I'm so sorry. Oh, don't be there. There's good. (laughs) There's good stuff in there. So, yeah, go ahead. Give it a read. We will be here. Welcome back. Let's start with uh, 26 and 27. So I remember a few weeks ago, was it around uh, Matthew 16 or so, 15? Oh, yeah. I think um, 14 14 and 16. I think 14, 15, 16 kind of grouped there as like a a literary unit. Yeah, so it's been a couple months now since you all have heard that conversation, but I think it's, it's worth here... You know, the setup of this chapter is, if you didn't read the whole rest of it, is Jesus is uh, ready to have his Passover meal the nights probably before he is executed. And so he has one final meal with his students, and it's a Passover meal, and there's some some awkwardness with one of his disciples who's going to commit treason, essentially. Uh, and then it gets to the climactic moments in the, for many people in this story, um, it's the beginning of the, the meal that Jesus gave us, the Eucharist communion, um, 
And here it's a Passover meal, but he, he speaks about it in a particular way that that's why we're going to really focus on this is it's so loaded. These verses are so such a source of contention and delight and sabering and meaning making. Um, people have had very holy moments reflecting on these verses or having them read aloud, perhaps at mass or um, another sacred space. So let's begin with the way that you observed this this moment seems to be prefigured or hinted at near the midpoint of the book. Yeah, which I didn't figure out until I got here. Okay. And and went back and looked. So I noticed the difference between spoke praise and gave thanks here in 26 and 27. And I was like, oh, you know, some variety, right? And then went back and looked at the feeding of the 5,000 and then the feeding of the 4,000 that has almost, almost word for word. Um, Jesus broke the bread, did something with that and passed out passing it out. But the feeding of the 5,000, it specifically says spoke praise feeding of the 4,000 says, give thanks. It's not the same word. And those, parallel the two words here which ends up being just kind of like a a bit of trivia like oh interesting connection there right except for i think i think it's connecting with then verse 28 and the significance of what jesus is doing as he's breaking the bread and pouring out the wine and what that's supposed to mean with many in mind well, you know, on that note, before we dive further into it, that was a good taster. Um, let's let's read through these three verses, but I want to do that uh, in a way we haven't really done before. I feel like we can since we're really just sitting on these three. So I'm going to read a verse out of a translation that I do not recommend, but it's quite popular. It's the English Standard Version. It was a uh, adaptation about 15 years ago from the new revised standard version, NRSV, which is very popular in really most mainline churches. If you've been to uh, a Methodist church or a uh, Episcopal uh, church, that's what you're going to find there. The ESV was created, as I recall, substantially just to make sure that they could translate away any space for interpreting the full dignity and worth of women. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a couple of like it was a, definitely a response to like TNIV and some other translations that were very intentionally trying to use inclusive language and not only say brothers or men, but to say people and brothers and sisters. And the yeah. people who made the ESV said, "Not today, Satan." And only people sure with penises only are included here. Yeah, right. Yeah. Sorry, I just choked on how many jokes I wanted to make. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'll read a verse and then you read it and we'll go back and forth on these three. Yeah. Verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. While they were eating, Jesus picked up some bread, 
and after he spoke praise, he broke it. After giving it to the students, he said, Here, eat this. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. Then after he picked up a cup and gave thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Everyone drink from it. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Because this is my covenant blood, which is lavishly poured with many in mind for liberation from deviations. Man, so much is packed into especially that final stretch. Uh-huh. So yeah, that uh, verse 28, it's got a bunch of stuff. Yeah, let's let's walk through this here. So yeah, we've already touched on the um praise and blessing uh, and gratitude. What's the next big dramatic point here? Uh, the, the word covenants stuck out to both of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that yeah. is jumping all the way down. <laughs> We're really I just mean, jumping to 28. I think that's it. Let's just go to 28. Let's, let's, let's hang out. Yeah. Covenant. What stood out to me about it was the fact that I kept it honestly because the word there could be translated as something like a contract or legal agreement, even like a will or something, like something like that. But I really, I couldn't think of any other English word, even that, even that are listed in like the, the dictionary as options for the Greek word there, that actually carry the significance of what this word means in a biblical context going back to look at the Hebrew Bible yeah, and all the way through. So where, I, where I've tried to use, so I, I would consider this kind of a theological technical term, mm-hmm. um, but it's uh, there's no better alternative. So even though I would normally maybe use something that's more common for most people to, to use in other contexts that are not just religious contexts, um, to make it more accessible there. I, I think with this word, doing that would take them away from the meaning, and that's not what I want to do. No, absolutely not. Like The themes of, of covenants are so prominent mm-hmm. in the faith family that Jesus was part of that yeah. it would be a bit of a betrayal. Mm-hmm. So I think it takes, if someone hasn't been kind of steeped in covenant language and understanding what that means it would take some explaining take some education for those who are not used to a, a, a christian religious tradition yeah yeah um but that's okay you know if, if that's if that's the way to actually make it more accessible is by saying hey here's a new word let me help you understand what it means <laughs> like, yeah i that that's there's been a few points here and this is a good example of it where this principle of Religious technical language shouldn't be by default removed, but right. um, when it gums things up, that's or like actually creates toxicity and infidelity. Mm-hmm. That's that's the value because the right. truth is, the truth is, it is bullshit to th- to suppose to have this conceit that you can just open up a Bible alone in some sense like right. it's it's an out the book is in belongs to a people not just the persons 
Right. It's read together. It's read in not just in community, but in in history. We read mm-hmm. as the current edge of a people of God that stretches back millennia. And there's a lot of reflection and a deep story that's gone on there. And if you read, if a translation allows you to read it without occasionally being a little confused, it's probably, honestly, it's probably de-Judaizing it. True. So keeping the word covenant just seems reasonable. It's like, if you don't know what that word means, that's fine. Like the translator has the, or the translating committee has the discretion to put mm-hmm. that in a footnote. Right. But the truth is, talk about it, ask about it, Google it, listen to a podcast <laughs> about it, uh, and find out more because the book is a subset of a people, not the mm-hmm. other way around. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, it's not like sin, for instance, where people have heard that word usually and have really awful understanding of what that means. Yeah. And then like the hard work of unlearning that definition for a different definition is, is really probably impossible with that word, you know, which is why I've been really diligent about using anything else. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, but if it's a word that people just don't, really know like i've never heard that word before or i've heard it but don't really like it's from an indiana jones movie the ark of the covenant uh you know i don't really know what that's talking about that's a lot easier to like fill in a blank than to use an eraser on something that's in permanent marker and try to rewrite it that way but now you've lodged into my brain every time i can find an opportunity to quote raiders of the lost ark this episode i can you are allowed and encouraged sir that's just what the hebrews thought uh, <laughs> marcus brody for the win okay um, at what point does our do our faces start to melt depends on how faithful this translation is yeah with every head bowed and every eye closed please pray for us as we proceed here so this covenant blood um I guess as we're walking through this, it might be worth taking time to actually explain what in the world these words or ideas even mean. It's such an, it's an arcane phrase. Yes. I'm glad you asked, even though you didn't actually ask anything. Uh, Would you tell us what that means? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I really, really appreciated um, what N.T. Wright has to say about the the blood the sprinkling of the blood in the hebrew bible sacrifices um specifically i'm thinking of what he writes about in the book uh, the day the revolution began mm-hmm. it's something like i felt like this is something i have to remember all always this is really important it's it really changes things around from the hebrew bible torah sacrifices being about God's pissed and he's not going to stop being pissed until we kill something. No, like only blood can satisfy the wrath. of God. Right. It's about the, the wrath needing something to suffer. Uh, and so it can like settle down and 
It's like the, the blood on the on the altar ends up being proof. Look, we killed something for you. We did some violence. Are, Are you, you happy, happy now, now, Dad? Are you happy now, no. Dad? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Please don't hurt me. Um, which is, you know, that description is probably something most Christians, even who believe in penal substitutionary atonement, to use a nice technical term there, yep. um, would probably cringe at and say, no, that's not what we're saying. Yes, it is. Um, you just say it in a little bit prettier language to hide it. <laughs> yeah. And NT Wright's book highlights what else it could be. And I'm sure that's not the only source for it. That's just where I discovered it. But it's not so much about the killing. It's about the, the blood itself and what it sacri- uh, not sacrifices, what it represents, what it symbolizes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the life. It's the life blood of a living being. And so it, it represents life, not death. You know, typically blood outside of a body means something died, but, but that's not in that ceremony. It's not representing death and yet that God is pleased by the death. Interesting. It's representing life and mm-hmm. pouring life over the altar. So when Jesus says, drink this because it's my covenant blood here take here's my life my life is for you mm-hmm. for all of you i poured it out with many in mind I didn't, in fact not just for you but for all sorts of people you get life that's my gift to you and that gets expanded not just many but like a lot of like miraculous amount of many going back to the reference to the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 where it, it should have just been a snack for a handful of people, but it filled thousands of people's bellies full to full satisfaction with leftovers. Like this is abundance. In fact, the, the Greek word that we often see translated abundance, the, I, the, the meaning of it really is like more than enough. Um, that's it's not it's not in this section but it's it's that those expand on this biblical kind of theme and i think that's what's happening here yeah yeah and you connect that with covenant and then it starts to have connections with promises belonging faithfulness commitment this is something that this is life being given as a gift that you can depend on it's been promised jesus has taking it on as his responsibility that he's going to fulfill. Yeah. There's not a drop of need for violence or blood sacrifice. This is not a, it's a blood sacrifice, but not a body sacrifice. If that makes sense, it's not a Mm -hmm. death, you know, the um, just thinking of this more than enough, this spilling over this beyond this, um, this Mm -hmm. sacred excess. Reminds me of Christ's first sermon as the um, gospel writers give it to us in Luke 4. Christ emerges from his temptation in the wilderness and goes into the synagogue and opens up the scroll and says all these, this jubilee stuff is happening in this very moment. Um, and they're like, cool. And then they, he's like, and it's going to happen to all the people that you don't think should get it. And they're like, F it, kill him. Um, <laughs> but like, that's 
such like he's so quick. It's so fluid for Christ. It's so mm. not just adjacent, but a part of um, Jubilee, of life, of shalom, of mm. covenant, that the edges aren't fraying. The, fredges, the, the edges are bigger. They're folded in and he's just unfolding it so that you see how many people are included here. And that's mm-hmm. where this, this passage goes, like this cup of life goes la- is lavishly poured out with many in mind. And that is one of the largest footnotes you have to share with us today. It's not to true. read the whole thing on air, but <laughs> to talk about. No, no. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not the largest, Brandon. It, it the next the one is the largest. It, yeah, the, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> H is bigger than G. Yeah. Uh, but this one is close. Mm. Um, part of the reason I stopped and really looked at this phrase was because it didn't seem to make sense in Greek in the Greek. Yeah. It's ta peri polon ekunomenon, which means nothing to probably anyone. Cause I don't know how, how good my pronunciation is. Um, it's not the word that I would expect to see in Greek there, the way that it's traditionally translated. Mm-hmm. The preposition peri is not usually for, um, so there's a traditional translated poured for many. It has the sense of being like about something or around something. That's where the word periscope comes from. Like that you see around a corner or in a, to jump forward in, um, theological development, the meta, the only metaphor that's really held for the Trinity is God is Father, Son, and Spirit as a circle dance, perichoresis, right? Dan, right. Dan, a, a, a dancing withness, a dancing together, yeah. together around, mm-hmm. yeah, looping around, and then you get that connected with the beautiful image of the Celtic knot, yeah, of the symbol, yeah. So I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't mean four. Why is this translated <laughs> as four? Yeah, um, and. and there is wiggle room in trying to figure out what to do with Greek prepositions to English prepositions. Cause it's not always an easy one-to-one it, it's, it takes some uh, finessing sometimes. Like you might, like you might have to fudge how you translate Perry. If it means the bigger phrase there of to Perry Polonic. Right. Yeah. Manamana. Yeah. Yeah. So Perry Okay. <laughs> um, so that's the first thing that that got caught my attention. This is like about or regarding, not usually for. Um, and then the monomena word, the ecunomenon, literally means pour out or even like gush out or like spill, which does fit with pouring a wine to a cup and also like shedding blood through violence like sticking a spear in someone's side for instance hypothetically um and there's also listed in the dictionary like a less literal meaning a more metaphorical use of it that's about distributing or like bestowing Hmm. specifically not just like distributing but doing it lavishly generously liberally Uh, so this is like i got the word lavish like not from my own imagination like this is actually in in the dictionary as one of the metaphorical uses of this word um 
on a wide range of people. So the traditional, like I'm kind of talking through the footnote here, traditional translation does capture the symbolism of the wine, um, but the connection about the many and about four regarding all that stuff still didn't quite fit for me. But then making the connection with everyone drink it and the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 in the wording of the verses before it with the give thanks and the speak praise, uh-huh. speak a blessing. Um, that just really seemed to expand the the lavishly idea yeah. for me yeah. quite a bit. So using those two words back to back, like I think Greek speaking readers would see that like some like what I noted when we were talking about those stories back originally is that at least the new English translation and others do too. Um, don't, even though it's two different words in those stories, they usually just both say like gave thanks. They, they treat them as if they're the same word, but then that makes it so you can't see the connection to these verses here. And I think Greek readers would have seen that connection to understand what's going on. So that, that, trying to really emphasize that bigness expansiveness here i i went with the, the lavishly poured with many in mind um trying to get that instead of four it's about i'm pouring it out and i'm doing that because i'm this story is about all of you uh, yeah. this action is about all of you yes it's for you but it's it's even more than that like this is your story this is the story god is writing for you Mm-hmm. Yeah, the especially just that word, that word lavishly. Mm-hmm. It it's insisting, it's making sure that that part of the Greek is caught up in how we hear it in English. I think the conventional translations, it's like this is my covenant blood. It's poured out for many, mm-hmm. and it's easy to. Um, I think the conventional flow of interpretation has been that yeah it's it's like a nice big number of people that receive this cup of life but it's not like a lot it's like you know more than three or four (laughs) like it's for the it's for the elect but it's not for like a very sloppy sense of that right like that that does come to mind like the the same tradition that produced the, the English standard version that we started with reading leans on a very precise, like God, God knows and actually selected the very precise number of people who get to participate in this. Yeah. The cup, um, the, the cup of life is for these very specific people mm-hmm. that they don't actually get a lot of say, even though they technically get a say, even though they get no say at all. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they have complete freedom to do exactly what I want them to do. But also none at all. Cause God is, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but this, this the idea of lavish, it's like, it's extravagant. It's, it's messy. Like you said, it's, it's uncontrolled. It's just like, I'm like spreading this everywhere. This is not a precise operation here. This is like getting all over everybody. I am not picking you and you and you out of the crowd. It's like, I've taken a, a super a, there are keys to a like, car under everybody's seat. 
<laughs> yeah. And you, you get some covenant blood. And you, you get some get covenant some... blood. <laughs> you get some covenant blood. <laughs> I don't think I would want to be in that audience, Brandon. Uh... No, no, that's awkward. It's just everybody <laughs> screaming. <laughs> um, but that's the idea. It's lavish like that. It's it's not uh these are not sharpshooter darts going to a handful of people in the crowd this is super soaker coverage over the whole crowd yeah like god's gift of life god's gift of holy belonging is something that is sprayed every friggin' where mm-hmm. and in conventional translations being so committed to many being a small number weirdly somehow yeah, that there's like this weird soteriological stinginess. But like, why not? Especially if the Greek friggin' supports the truth that like God's gift is lavish. It mm-hmm. is reckless. It is sprayed. It is super soaker, not like sniper rifle. Right. You just got to be able to pronounce ekunomenon. Which neither of us can. Not, not well anyway yeah okay moving on from phenomena uh let's you know the final uh phrase here it's lavishly poured out with many in mind for liberation from deviations not forgiveness of sins but Mm -hmm. liberation from deviations yeah i tried so many different variations of the of phrasing here <laughs> trying mm-hmm. to find just the right thing yeah you've and used dismissal of deviations or uh, other times i have and that could work here it's the same word the liberate the what's translated as liberation is the same that i've translated as dismissal i think we've talked about before that it's the same word for divorce uh or send away um poured, lavishly poured out with many minds for for di- divorce divorce from there let me let me finish from deviation (laughs) right yeah i can see like the oh really oh man finish but so liberation leaning on the the sense of like release is one of the common ways to 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 translate that word Mm -hmm. which would be fine and dismissal would be fine but there's just, it seems like there's something deeper happening here. Like to be truly released with this lavish life here, that's got, that's freeing. There's a setting mm-hmm, free happening, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and truly that is one of the meanings listed in the dictionary is a, a setting free from slavery or from captivity, from imprisonment is one of the meanings of the word being released in that way so with the context of jesus talking about about this as he's doing a passover celebration which remembers the people of israel being liberated from slavery in egypt it 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 seems like that's that's what needs to be leaned on here that's it hits all the contextual bells you know it's, it's liberation or freedom in that sense, being released from slavery, from bondage, from burden, from the burden of, of deviation. 
do you see a connection between the phrase of like covenant blood and a dismissal of deviations, liberation from deviations, forgiveness of sins? Is there a connection you see there between holding this as a cup of life, not mm-hmm. a symbol of death? And yeah, connect these, please help me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked about Isaiah and Jeremiah a whole bunch, and there's there's a ton of connections that we haven't addressed directly, but those two books keep popping up throughout Matthew. And, and I think they're both hinted at here. Jeremiah 31 talks about a new covenant. Yeah. Um, where he's discussing rescuing the people of Israel who have been captured and forcibly taken as labor to another land and promising that God's going to make it right again and is going to rescue them, liberate them, release them from that slavery, uh, from that captivity to bring them home and restore them as God's people. And very literally that happened uh, after the time that Jeremiah wrote and before Jesus, they, mm-hmm. they left Persia and, and Babylon and came back to Israel. Um, but there's a lot to hint at that, that it wasn't quite right still. Um, the other one is, so that was Jeremiah 31, that I think it's hitting on for a covenant specifically. And then I think Isaiah 51 is also in mind here. Um, it talks about the image of a cup of wine. Oh, mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of the opposite symbol in a way. Um, it symbolizes the anger at injustice and drunkenness on the wine being the symbol for oppression and greed and and imposing hardship. Yeah, on the people, drunkenness and gluttony. We just we think of as very literally like drinking too much alcohol, eating too much food. But in the Bible, they're really meant as like metonymous. They're symbols of like one aspect of what kind of consumerism, basically this like greed, this collection of everything, me, 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 at the expense of anybody and everybody else. And so that's, that's where the drunken image comes in. So pouring that out is there's a promise of removing the intoxicating wine from the people's hand. And then it doubles as the cup to be shared and pouring out the contents of the cup. And there's lots of connections to be made, including later in the same chapter in the garden, when Jesus is going to pray and the disciples keep falling asleep. Um, and Jesus is praying, take this cup from me. Um, I think that's a, that's really where I actually noticed the connection with Isaiah 51. I'm like, ah, okay. There's, there's this cup of, of anger, of wrath at injustice that's going to be poured out. And Jesus is like, I don't, I don't know if I want to drink that cup. Um, and we talked before too about the importance of the word cup when we were talking about uh, the disciples asking, can we beat your right and left hand or actually their mom uh, asking on their behalf. <laughs> And just being, uh, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And I translated it as, could you drink the drink I'm going to drink? 
Um, and we talked about, yeah, maybe cup actually is better because I think there are connections that are important with the word cup specifically. Illusions. Yeah. So putting all this together, you know, this, as I said at the beginning, these are passages, these are words that are held tenderly as people reflect on the Eucharist, this ancient practice of remembering and proclaiming Christ's death. And usually the, the uh, verses that are read are actually from First um, Corinthians. But I'm curious for you, how does, how do some of these changes that you made here, does it surface anything freshly or differently for what the, what the Eucharist can mean for us yeah, today? What, what our current ceremony of that means? Yeah. Like a reenactment, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm. We've been talking mostly mm. about what it, what these words, this translation, meant past tense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for Jesus and his students. I'm asking about like presently. We've got two thousand years of beautiful tradition. Figuring out what it means to have this be a ritual that's at the center of a people. Yeah. And so when you change words about the story behind the ritual at the middle, in the center of the people, that's worth asking. about. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. First thing that comes to mind is I once went to a Greek Orthodox mass. I don't know if they call it mass. They probably call it mass. I'm not sure. What do they call it? Uh, But their, their worship, their Sunday worship gathering, and they handle the Eucharist in a very distinct way, one that I haven't seen anywhere else. They expect, I don't know if they explained it in the service, but they, they expect that only officially, official members who have been baptized into the Orthodox Church participate in receiving the wine and the bread during the service. But at the end they bring the bread back out Hmm. and anyone present is welcome to receive the bread at the end, but not the wine. And it's supposed to symbolize, yeah, you're not part of the church right now, but we have a hope that someday all people will belong. But even a dog gets the crumbs from his table. (laughs) I kind of get, I kind of dig that. Um, which I, I kind of like the sentiment, I, but honestly, I think I would like it better if everyone were just welcome in the first place. Yep. That's Um, better. But what's interesting is I'm noticing it's almost opposite of what's here in the text, at least in this section. I don't know about first Corinthians, but it's here to his students here, eat this. This is my body for the bread. End of discussion about the bread. No elaboration. Right. But then it's the wine specifically that this is poured out lavishly with many in mind. So it almost seems like the Orthodox Church got it backwards. Like only the members should take the bread, but then anyone has access to the wine. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. It doesn't probably really matter. Um, but I, cause I think what the point really is, yeah. is that everyone is welcome at the table. Yeah. Everyone. I Googled it. They don't have mass. It's divine liturgy. 
divine liturgy. The divine okay. liturgy. So for you, part of what this means, the implication of this translation, particularly with that lavishly stuff, mm-hmm. is like this is for everybody who's well thirsty. Mm-hmm. Go back right. to the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. Those who hunger and thirst for justice will be satisfied. And be plugged in not to a story of their sins being forgiven, of their rule their breaking bad behavior being overlooked. Their, yeah, their rule breaking being um, bypassed, but of being liberated from it. Mm-hmm. Like uh, released just, from it. But not just their own bad behavior. Remember, like right after the Sermon on the Mount, there's two full chapters of Jesus, including including people in this that has nothing to do with their behavior. It's about their nationality, their yeah. health status, their gender, the, like mostly health uh, <laughs> has nothing to do with them behaving badly, mm. breaking, breaking rules that they had any control over anyway. Yeah. They were ceremonially unclean based on having a hemorrhage. But that woman did nothing to cause her hemorrhage. Hmm. Jesus includes her. Yeah, this is for everybody. This is for her. Mm-hmm. Those rights and regulations that are meant for life, but ultimately produce death. This cup of life is poured over all of it mm-hmm. so that they can belong. Or that the belonging that's always been there is what is announced publicly is really, I think, what's going on. Like, yeah, which the, I think is what Galatians is all about. It's like talking about this very thing of like, yeah, the rules were there. It turned the rules that were meant as like instructions for promoting life into instruments of death and separation. Yeah. And you missed it all along. Like that, that was the point from the beginning was that it was about including everybody. Yeah. There should be a fundamental recklessness to it. If it's about God mm-hmm. <laughs> or what feels reckless to these important security cadences that we've developed in our hearts. Mm-hmm. You know, that was pretty good for like basically one verse yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. We, we hinted at a, at a couple other verses, but yeah, it's mostly yeah. verse yeah. twenty-eight there. Yeah, listeners, if you did only listen to those, uh, rest assured, there are plenty of other interesting ideas throughout the rest of this chapter. They, some of the more interesting ones, really are things that we've um, that we've explored in other episodes. Um, but it's worth, given the fact that you've had a few weeks of having heard these things before, it's worth going back in and reading this stuff and seeing where some of these phrases and turns of phrase um, take on new life in a new context and a new moment in the story. But that's for what happens when we hit stop recording, which is going to happen in about a minute. <laughs> Uh, We're thankful, as always, for your company with this leg of the journey. The easiest way to support Found in Translation is to leave us a rating or review in your podcast player of choice. It makes it easier for more people to find this show. 
Second best way to support the show is to become a sponsor, which you can do for just $5 a month. When you do that, you get comment access on the translations Google Doc and the satisfaction that you are supporting. Say it with me, exceptionally nerdy, independent media. You can also find the link to that uh, in the show notes. The music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Found in Translation was produced by Perry FM on Chinook land. Goodbye, Brandon. Bye, Brandon. Bye, everybody.